Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode four of season five, where we are in the middle of our Growing Up series. Today, we are going to be interviewing L.S. Gabriel Hannans, where he's going to talk about the different types of parenting to give us insight into how we may have been parented or how we may be parenting ourselves. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Today we're going to be interviewing the indomitable black man, L.S. Gabriel Hannans. Gabe is the author of the book, This is Parenting, and has gained a strong following on TikTok with his mission to help parents, teachers, and other childcare workers raise a generation of physically, mentally, and emotionally healthy children through education, reasoning, and love. You can find Gabe at the underscore giant underscore Gabe on Instagram or the dash indomitable dash black man on TikTok. Hello, Anna. Hello, Christina. And hello, Gabe. Hello. We- we have Gabe here, also known as the Indomitable Black Man on TikTok, the underscore Indomitable underscore Black Man, who's here to talk to us about all things parenting related. So welcome, Gabe. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. We're so glad to have you here. For anyone who loves TikTok, you have some amazing resources, you know, one to three minute blurbs, really explaining the differences between permissive versus gentle parenting and, you know, what's what's right, what's wrong with parenting in the world these days. And I think it's this is going to be a really good episode for anyone here who has parents, <laughs> aka everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Or anyone who needs to reparent themselves or for anyone who themselves is trying to be the best parent they can be. So thank you for coming because the work you're doing is really important and really needed. Yeah. And the oh, way absolutely. that you convey it is beautiful as well. So thank you. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess one of the things we'd like to start with is can you tell us about the different types of parenting methods and what you believe to be their pros and cons? Absolutely. So you have four major styles of parenting that is authoritarian, authoritative, permissive, and neglectful. And all of these, I I can't really say that they have all pros and cons. A lot of them have more cons than anything else. 
with authoritarian, authoritarian is basically like what it sounds like. You have an authoritarian regime in your household where it's the parents' way or the highway, which that's the way most of us have been raised. It's the iron fist, do what I say, when I say it, how I say it. And what it looks like is high expectation, low responsiveness. And that's very detrimental and problematic for a lot of kids because they're developing and may not have the skills necessary to carry out uh, to carry out the expectations that the parent has. Then you have authoritarian or authoritative. Authoritative is is what I promote. It is high expectation, high responsiveness. It is the parent saying, "My standard is up here. You're going to reach that, but I'm going to help you reach that goal by giving you the skills and the tools necessary." In which to do that. This is scientifically the best method of teaching children because it is quite literally teaching children. It's recognizing that they are not at a cognitive level to process certain things. And so you're meeting them where they're at and then giving them the ability to carry out the tasks and the mindset and whatever things you need them to carry out uh, as they age. Permissive parenting is what everybody confuses with gentle parenting. And they are not the same in any way, shape, or form. Permissive parenting is low expectation, high responsiveness. It is letting kids get away with a lot of things. It is not establishing boundaries, specifically healthy boundaries. It is no consequence or very few consequences for actions that deserve a consequence. It is inconsistent. It is, it is not a good style of parenting. It's free range children. And although there is this concept that, oh, if they're free range to learn all they need to learn, they, they aren't actually. They're not learning emotional intelligence. They're not learning that their actions have consequences. They're, they're not growing. They're not becoming well-rounded individuals. And so these kids can become spoiled. These kids can also become um, very selfish. But that's usually about as far as it's gonna go. They, a lot of people like to blame um, I don't I don't know if I can say this word, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, like school shooters or mass shooters, they blame that on permissive parenting, but that's also not the case. <laughs> that that is not gonna lead to that. It's just going to lead to kids who are very entitled and they want something for nothing. But a lot of them can also grow up to be just regular healthy individuals. Then you have neglectful parenting. Neglectful parenting is by far the most harmful because it leads children to become narcissistic in a, in a manner of speaking. They, are, they have to be very um, aggressively selfish with their needs and desires because nobody is meeting it. Neglect is, is abuse. There, there's no pro to neglectful parenting. It, it is just that abuse. It is not having any type of expectation and there's no responsiveness. Your child cannot grow and your child cannot thrive in that environment. So those are the four major forms of parenting I promote gentle parenting or authoritative parenting, which is scientifically research-based, evidence-based, the most productive form of uh, parenting. So when people say gentle parenting, they're talking about authoritative. Correct. Okay. Okay. They're talking about having boundaries. They're talking about teaching. They're talking about having natural consequences or consequences that are logical based on what they've done. It's, it's getting the kids to where they need to go. So if there was a recipe to raise a child who would become a, a school shooter or, you know, the Brock Turner rapist kind of guy, what type of parenting would that be? 
So there isn't one set formula per se, because so many different things can trigger a child to do that. Like looking at, if you actually read in my book, I talk about three types of unalivers. I talk about Hitler, I talk about Eileen Warnos, and I talk about Nicholas Cruz. And all three of them come from an upbringing that had trauma in general. Hitler, in addition to him being a child of incest, his father was also his grand uncle. Um, yeah, a lot of people know that. <laughs> um, that's one example. He also was sick. That also caused some brain trauma. He also witnessed his brothers dying. His one brother died. His other brother, I believe, was killed in World War I. He saw his mom die, who was the closest person to him. His father was very abusive. He grew up in a very authoritarian household. Those were all recipes to create who he was. But even then, he wasn't, he wasn't bad. He had an outlet. He was, he was a painter. He actually was really good friends with Jewish people when he was living in Austria. And so you can have people who come from very horrible households who grow up to not be genociding maniacs. But then you also can have kids that grow up to do that because of those household environments. Same with Eileen Warnos. She was... Um, she was born to a mother who gave her up and her brother up. She was molested and raped by her brother and her grandfather. Her grandmother was abusive and an alcoholic. She was, uh, she had a child at like 13 and was forced to give the child up. She was kicked out of her house very young and had to live in the woods. She was doing everything she could to survive. And she had to wind up turning to the street life, prostituting her body to make ends meet to survive. And that unfortunately led to her doing what she had to do, becoming a serial killer. But you can see how the pattern exists because of the trauma, but that's her lifestyle wasn't the same as Hitler's lifestyle. Nicholas Cruz, a similar instance, um, his mother, his biological mother had been arrested for, um, for drug possession, cocaine possession, 300 times, 300 times. And I think it was 300, 330, one of the two, it's in my book. He is more than likely a product of, of drug abuse. He found his uh, adopted father's body dead when he was about six. That causes trauma. He was raised by his mom, who was very permissive, um, mainly because she was afraid. Um, he is on the spectrum as well. He, it, there were a lot of tr like traumatic things that happened in his life as well that led him, that led up to this moment. He was not given the tools how to self-regulate. Eileen Warnos was not given the tools to help uh, self-regulate. And plus, she was in a literal survival situation. And the same with Hitler. I don't think he was given the tools to self-regulate. And so in all of these situations, they are responding to their environment. But it, there's no real pattern. You know what I mean? Um, so it really just depends on the, the, the situation. It depends on many different factors. But what we can say as a through line is the more trauma that happens, the more likely somebody is to engaging in antisocial behavior. Um, and that can be a head injury or like a sickness that causes a fever that damages your brain. Like, uh, I wanna say it was Nero or Caligula. I wanna say it was Caligula who had a, a fever and kind of just went insane and started doing a lot of antisocial behavior. You have um, genetics in terms of like, were your parents on drugs? Is there a history of, um, genetic uh, diseases like depression, bipolar, BPD, schizophrenia, things of that nature, that can all play a part of it. And then your environment, who are you around? What have you been privy to? What have you seen? What trauma has been inflicted on you? 
all of those play into the formula of what can create a mass killer or a mass rapist or anything like that. Yeah, it's so interesting. You could just tell like Anna went straight to the the, the serial killer question and I went straight to the give me more examples of, of authoritative um, of authoritative parenting because like one of the things that I've been trying to do is like I, I grew up in kind of a I would say like more of a neglectful environment. Maybe you could say it was permissive, um, but it was it felt more neglectful. And so for me, one of the things that I found is so difficult is like I'll watch gentle parenting things and I've been trying to like learn how to do that myself while also rec recognizing that I'm on the spectrum and that I need to like regulate myself and like learn how to do that as an adult and a parent. But like, what are what are some examples of like gentle parenting in terms of like how it actually looks? Like, what are well, like? For instance, you were talking about like the logical kind of steps of what what of 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 punishment or or uh, punishment being the wrong word. I recognize, but um, uh, he said age appropriate consequences. Thank you. <laughs> See, look, I even like can't even get out of the conditioning that's in my brain. So age appropriate punishment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're basically asking what are some age appropriate examples of like consequences and stuff yes, like that. Exactly. Okay. Um, ooh, okay. I used to work at a center and it was an ABA center, applied behavioral analysis before I got at ooh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> stories I have. But a lot of the kids there were children with autism and it ranged in severity. And a lot of the kids, they were like five, three to like three to seven as you are usually work with. And the average was about five to six years old. And I had kids that were very aggressive for no reason um, that you could discern immediately. And I had, I guess what I wanna say is the best example of age appropriate. I had one little boy. I loved him the most. He was one of my favorite. He, bear with me, and you're going to have to chop and screw this because I'm trying to think of a perfect example because there were so many, so many things. Okay, meltdowns specifically. Buddy had a meltdown. He would have meltdowns around snack time or lunchtime. And that was mainly because we had to run what's known as a food tolerance procedure, which is high key abusive. I don't believe you should be forcing a kid to eat food baby learn how to cook but that's what happened they, they were giving this kid some really bad tasting food and he didn't want to eat it but specifically during this one particular time we were working on a food tolerance procedure he had to try a food and put it to his mouth and chew on it well it was something that he had chewed before but this time he did it he screamed and then he just hauled off and hit me. and i'm like what'd you hit me for now the average person would be like, okay, well, I'm going to hit you back or I'm going to remove you or we're going to have a talking to him and put you in timeout. Didn't have to really do that. It was really more because I understood and I had to stop myself. I had to like, okay, why did he hit? That's the first question that goes through my mind before I do anything else. I, I stopped. I thought about what was going on. He kept screaming. He kept hitting. He had a meltdown. I... I can't remember what I did. I, I moved everything out of the way because when he melts down, he likes to flip things over and throw things at people and hit people and bite people. Um, I moved everything out of the way and I just turned him around with his back facing me and I just held him. Not a restraint, just like holding him so he's not flailing and hurting people and things of that, uh, that nature. 
I let him have his meltdown. When he calmed down, I was able to assess the situation. Now, again, this was age appropriate. He was supposed to have a meltdown. The meltdowns are fine. It went on for about as long as it normally would have, about like maybe 15 minutes. Then when he calmed down, I was able to see what was going on. He had a cavity in his mouth and he bit down on it and it hurt his teeth. And when he hurt his teeth, he could not, he couldn't communicate that he was in pain the way we could understand. So he hit me. Cool. I understand that. That's an example of a consequence. Like his consequence was, I just held him while he flung around. I'm not going to hit him. I'm not going to punish him. I'm not going to do any of that. I don't need to. Um, another example, when, um, I don't know if anybody's seen this video. It's on my pinned on my TikTok. There was a little boy who was on the kitchen counter or in the kitchen sink and was spraying a water sprayer onto the floor. And there's a voiceover of this guy saying, now, if I whooped his behind, I'd be wrong. And I'm like, yes, you would be wrong because this is age appropriate. He's learning while he's playing. Now, is he playing correctly? No, but he doesn't know how to play correctly. And, and the assumption that he should, he's doing something wrong and he should know that he shouldn't be doing it wrong is, is incorrect. You, you, can't, you can't think that a kid knows automatically what to do. So the consequence I would have given him is I would have stopped him. I would have helped, uh, he would have helped me clean up. I would have helped him help me clean up. If I have to like get his hand and put um, paper towels in it and show him how to do it himself, that's fine. That's a consequence. Excuse me. And then as a result, I would get up, put him down on the counter and show him how we use it properly. That's giving him a consequence, letting him know that you messed up. Now we got to clean it up. But then it's also showing him the way to do it correctly, showing him the skill so it minimizes the opportunity for him to do it incorrectly the second time. So those are all age appropriate um, consequences. And we have to stop thinking of it as a punishment, think of it as a consequence. That's how we can, we can mitigate negative responses to us trying to give a consequence out. Right, so if it was like, like I have a five and a seven year old and they are homeschooled, right? So sometimes they get into it because they're with each other all the time. And so we'll have the conversation and we'll be like, okay, maybe we just, everybody needs time to themselves. Like maybe you guys are just, you know, kind of trying to assess the situation like that. But it, it, I mean, it is so interesting because I definitely am just like, it's so hard to get out of the ingrained part of your brain that if there isn't a, a, a negative consequence, then they're going to do it again. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously this is saying no. That actually positive or not or neutral consequences are still effective. Is that right? Yes, I actually was on a conference uh, call last night with a couple parents, and one of the issues was one daughter is hitting another daughter. Now, siblings are going to fight. That's just what siblings do. They're going to fight because they're two different people who are in different spaces. With they're growing cognitively, they don't understand certain things. And they're trying to figure themselves out. They're trying to figure the other person out. They're trying to figure out where their place is in the family dynamic. I will get kids to do team building exercises like that. I don't care. Oh, um, oh, best example. Uh, I was working with a little boy uh, for my tutoring business. And cutest little kid. I wanted to adopt him. Ugh. But him and his foster brother were arguing about something. They were fighting since they came in. And they were about to get physical. So the best way I could intervene is I started chasing them. And 
they did not want to talk to each other. But as soon as I started chasing them, they realized it was a game and they realized they had a common goal. Get away from me. And we ran around outside for like 15, 20 minutes. They had fun. They helped each other. We played like a freeze tag where I would tag one and then they're trying to save each other. And it's, it was collaboration. They had to communicate. And then at the end, I said, all right, now y'all apologize. You said, you know, what did you do wrong? Okay, he didn't like that. What did you do wrong? Okay, what can you do differently? All right, what can you do differently? All right, now let's go in here and let's have fun correctly. Let's, let's play correctly. And it was fine. It, it's not about just getting mad and like, oh, you did this wrong. No, no. It, give them the tools necessary to get through what they're going through. That's the yeah. best way to minimize that. One, one thing I've been doing, so I want to know if your opinion, if this is good, I, I feel like it works with my kids is it, they're seven and nine. And sometimes mm-hmm. when they get into a really big fight, um, we kind of talk about it after. And then I'm, I try to ask them, how can you guys make it right between you? And so I don't dish out the punishment, punishment in quotes, like, you know, for, you know, like I let them talk about what they think would be the fair and it's surprising because sometimes it'll be like, well, I'm sorry I did that. So I'll do your chores tonight. You know, like they themselves come up with it and then I don't have to like enforce stuff. And then I feel like it's kind of good because then they get to practice real life. Like when you're with a roommate or with a partner, you have to negotiate peace. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's, but they're older. My kids are older than her. So, may, you know, but that mm-hmm. we've been doing that a lot lately and it's been helping. Yeah. And that's teaching empathy. That's teaching self-advocacy. That's teaching um, independence. That's teaching boundaries. All of those are great. That's what we should be teaching. 100%. I would add a little bit extra to that though. When, when they're having that frustrating moment, when they're, they're angry, find out what happened initially and then role play. Kids learn best through play role play what they can do differently i've worked with kids where oh, they cool. oh yeah they like one of the things that my mom would do when we were younger is she would get us to role play she would say okay pretend that this is you pretend that this is you think about how you would feel with this think about how you would feel with this what should you say to each other and we would practice what to say and even though it seems like you're saying the same repetitive things over and over again what you're actually doing is you're understanding concepts that you can generalize over different scenarios. So you have to role play your siblings point of view or you would role play your own. Either or like it's, it's really just putting them in any scenario. So if, if they were fighting, right, I would say, all right, let's go back to what happened before. What can you say to your brother in order to avoid this altercation? What can you do to your sister to avoid this uh, altercation? If it's just one kid and you're doing it with a one-on-one kid, I'm, you know, Jill, you're Jane. You did X, Y, and Z to me. I did X, Y, and Z to you. What can you say to me to get what you want to communicate? So you kind of become the surrogate to kind of offset the energy. I get it. Right. Cool. So the whole whole goal of the parent is to facilitate the learning in a way that they can understand. That's, That's pretty much it. Right. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. That, that helps a lot too. Cause, cause I think that we can say things and we can try and do it. But again, like you said, there's like a real tendency for authoritative to become permissive. Right. And like, and, and I know that it's, it's definitely the case, you know, I kind of want to ask you about like dominant parenting in the past and like what's seeing that, because it does feel as if there's an overcorrection 
that's happening right now um, as a result of that. So can you kind of say like what, like, you know, in terms of parenting methods that have been dominant and how it can have affected people today? That's a big question. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say, um, and this is the raw, real truth of the matter. And I don't want people to take it the wrong way. God, I know I don't. I, I don't want to see no sound bites later coming out talking about some gay said this. Um, but if we want to be real, parenting style of authoritarianism is not native to anywhere but ancient um, and medieval Europe. It was something that was created out of the, the need for survival and the need for competition over a lot of resources. It is not native to Africa, it is not native to Asia, and it's not native to the Americas. It was, it was really just confined to Europe. There was facilitation and a revering of children everywhere else around the world. And if there were instances of abuse, those were met severely to the, um, to, to the parents. Uh, even if we go back to look at the Bible, like it, it was, everybody is claiming that you have to beat the kid or if the kid is disobeying you, you kill them. There was never any instance of somebody having to stone their adult child or their adult son because the word is son, not child. And they never did that because it also talks about the kid, the, the son being a drunkard and you don't have that. <laughs> the children aren't getting drunk. Um, it doesn't really talk about beating your child like you it's not actually beating them. So there's this misinterpretation that was disseminated from uh, the higher ups in the church down to a lot of the people in Europe. And so they thought abusing your chi uh, child and, and, and beating them was the way that you save them and make them productive members of society. But what we see from authoritarian parenting is the exact opposite. We see children who are antisocial. We see kids who think that they have to fight. They have to say what's on their mind. They have to hit. They have to be aggressive. They're doing everything that their parents are doing to them because that's all they know. The household is the first society that a child is brought up into. It's the first culture. So anything that's a normal uh, a normality in the household is going to be a normality outside of the household. So if you're hitting all the time in the house, what do you expect the kids to do when they get out of the house? If your kid is, is manipulated, if you're manipulating your kids in the house, they're going to manipulate outside of the house. That's just how that works because that's what they know. So you have kids with depression and anxiety right now that stems from authoritarianism, from hitting your kids, from yelling at your kids, from beating your kids, alcohol and drug abuse. I have, I have seen, I work out of middle school. I have seen so many kids abusing drugs, alcohol, and sex from middle school up. And I ask them two questions. I always ask two questions. Do you love yourself? And what are you running from? And nine times out of 10, no, I don't love myself. And I have a horrible home life. Definitively, this is not an exaggeration. This is me actively telling you. Like my ex's uh, little brother, 15, smokes like a chimney, drinks like a grown man. Horrible home life. No, I don't love myself. And that's coming from the home life being tumultuous, toxic, and, and anxiety-inducing. Authoritarian parenting is a authoritarian regime. And uh, as Americans, where, how do we feel about authoritarian regimes? We hate them because there's no freedom. So then why would we then go do the things 
that we don't like other countries doing, applying those same practices and concepts to our children. If we don't like them there, we see it doesn't work there. Why would we do it here to our kids? That doesn't make sense. You're going to continue to see the same issues. The reason why people are out here killing in the streets. This is the reason why people are out here um, being promiscuous and passing on STDs and unaliving themselves. And all of these different problems are coming because they have not been, they have no identity. They have no confidence. They feel no love. They, or they feel this bastardized form of love. They don't feel what it actually means to love themselves. They don't feel worthy of anything. The people in jail, they're not from permissive households. The people in jail are from authoritarian households. 100% of the time, they're coming from places where they've been abused. They've had to struggle. They had to survive. That's where it's coming from, authoritarian households. Yeah. 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 I can and talk a lot. Sorry. No, no, I love it. And I, and I, you know, like if you were to try and put a crystal ball for the people, for the permissive parents, like, cause we're going to see those consequences in 10, 15 years. Right. What would you, what would your crystal ball be for kind of the other end of the spectrum in terms of permissive and like what? We are, yeah. No, 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 no I, I was done. Yeah. Oh, Go ahead. yeah. We're going to see a lot of illiquid children who are not capable of being fully functioning adults. Right, they're not. COVID learning. screwed us up already. Mm. These kids do not, if they don't have the skills to, to do anything, it's gonna be worse. Millennials already, I'm a millennial, we weren't given a lot of the tools when we got into adulthood. There are a lot of us who don't even know how to get insurance. I know so many of my friends who are struggling so much, their breath is horrible, their teeth are horrible because they can't, afford to take care of themselves. They can't afford to take care of their bodies. They don't know how to get therapy. Their mental health is suffering and they know it is. Um, they don't know how to apply for basic things. They don't have good credit. They're learning everything on the fly and they're already ill-equipped. Imagine them teaching their children based off of what they know. Yeah. It's going to, we're going to continually decline. The permissive parenting is not it seems like it's good in the short term, especially if you feel like you don't have the ability, but it's better to work hard, excuse me, at trying to fix that now than to wait until they're adults and try to retroactively fix everything. Cause it's just gonna, it's just gonna lead to a, a skill shortage. It's gonna lead to emotional intelligence shortage. It's going to lead to more people failing at life and then there's going to be an, up, an increase in depression and anxiety when people get out into the real world and see what the real world is like yeah yeah and that's and that's this entire series that we're doing right now that we're going to include this interview in is all about growing up because i can only say i can probably say that i just grew up and i'm 39 years old right it's just crazy like it's just yeah. it's just so crazy how not being given the tools and the resources and the and the right ways of doing things or the correct like as you're saying like the correct way of doing something that's appropriate and that is is emotionally intelligent is just not it's just not there right yes yeah. there's a there's that huge lack of it and so we just i feel like we just keep seeing this pendulum swing back and forth and back and forth it's like neglectful parents lead to permissive parents authoritative parents need to permissive parents you know it's just like and like mm -hmm. we just need to to find that authoritative thing so, yeah anyway, absolutely very enlightened thank you mm -hmm. i had a question about the people listening who do not have children or do not work with children 
we talk a lot in our previous season, we talk a lot about reparenting the self. We talk about um, internal family systems. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but the parts theory of like inside of us are different parts and there's arrested development and different things that have experienced trauma. I have a seven-year-old me inside walking around Mm -hmm. and feeling certain things. And so for those of us who are not us, for those listeners who don't have children, what would you, what would your advice be to the way that they parent themselves? Like they reparent themselves or even the voice in their head. Like my guess is we have one of the four things in our head, you know, one of these four parenting styles, we, we, we might have the one that shames us quickly, you know, like someone with intrusive thoughts, maybe they had an authoritarian parent, authoritarian parent, or they have an authoritarian parenting narrator in their mind. And maybe the person who just goes for their drug addiction and sex addiction has a permissive narrator or something like, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of making this up as I go along, but, but what do you think the relationship between these four different parenting styles is and reparenting the self? Um, can you, can you condense your question into one? I, that was a, yeah. sorry. I, I guess, I guess, I guess, should we be mindful of our own inner voice and recognize like that it's one of the four different parenting styles and then maybe shift it? And, and, and how can we do that for ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. I am working through that now where a lot of times the voices that I hear are voices where I'm condemning myself for the smallest infraction. I have a perfectionist mindset, like nobody's business, and that prohibits me from doing a lot of things. And so one of the things that I've had to start doing, I've had to start uh, to do, is reframing my mindset. And that looks like just hearing the question or the statement in my mind, and then figuring out where it came from. And then immediately counteracting that with something that I know is true or something that is um, authoritative. Like, I can't really give a good example off the top of my head. Um, if I mess up something, I'll say, oh, I'm so stupid. I immediately stop. Why do I feel like I'm stupid? Because I didn't do it the right the first time. But I'm learning how to do this. Let me try again. And it could be something just that small, just that quick. It's it's a short, authoritative parenting is not this long drawn out thing. It's a very short, sweet, to the point, boom, boom, boom. You didn't do it right yet, try it again. And that changes your mindset about a lot of things. It's going from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. That's That's really all I can say. I'm not a therapist. But it's, it's, it's a really interesting, uh, I think that's, that's like, right, exactly kind of like what we're looking at in terms of like, hey, how can we actually do this? Random question, because my dog just walked into the room. Do you parent your dog with a certain type of parenting? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my dog. (laughs) My dog triggers me like nobody's business because my dog is and yes. one, one of the things that triggers me in, like instantly, I'm a very light sleeper. And it's partly because I have him as a dog and I'm always, he doesn't sleep in a room with me. He sleeps out in the living room. And so I'm always listening to make sure there's nothing going on. I'm hypervigilant of children and animals. So anytime I hear him, I will wake right up. But I hear him 
yip and bark and his barks are loud and shrill and sharp and that immediately like kickstarts my um uh, my fight or flight and it, oh it, it irritates me to no end and i want to go out there and pick him up and yeet him across the universe i can't do that because he's a year old he's a puppy so i go out i try to comfort him or something i tell him be quiet shut up i'm trying to go to sleep once he's calm, I go back to sleep. Most of the time if he's doing it, it's because he wants to go outside. I have to learn how he communicates. So when he's barking and yipping and stuff at two in the morning, okay, you were sleeping, now you're up, you have to go outside. Take him out for a while, that's fine. That's that's how I have to parent him. It, God, it's so hard, it's so hard. Gosh, so, I'm... Go ahead, Anna. Oh, I was gonna say, gosh, I, I think I'm a permissive you parent to my dogs. You are 100% a permissive parent to your dogs, I will. But am I permissive to my kids too? Because I really hope I'm authoritarian with them. Authoritative. Authoritative. Oh, authoritative, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I can tell. I don't. I don't know what you are to your your kids. I mean, I I I would say that we're both probably do a kind of fluctuate. I think like we're, we're both authoritative, one. and you're a little more strict, and I'm a little more permissive, maybe. Yeah, probably. But when I see it in my dogs, damn, I'm permissive. <laughs> your dogs, whereas I am much more authoritarian with my dog. That's the reason I was asking because I know I know Gabe that you were talking that you had a husky, and I was like, I can tell because I mean, for a lot of for a lot of people, especially if they don't um if they don't have um like their pets are their children right and it's mm -hmm. like you kind of have to learn and obviously it's a very good example of like i have a i have a dog and the dog has a certain developmental capability and some dogs breeds are going to have different developmental capabilities and you really have to go and meet them where they are well, um, depending on their age shit. if i'm permissive with my dogs maybe i am permissive with my kids <laughs> and i'm just blind it's okay. It's okay. All you have to do with permissive parenting is just establish healthy boundaries. It that's UBI. Yeah. Okay. Healthy boundaries. Okay. What do you mean by that? Like. <laughs> okay. So. Like, like what are healthy question. boundaries? Because my kids, I think my kids are pretty well behaved, but they can be loud sometimes. But like, what what are some healthy boundaries that I should probably be following if I'm not? Let's pretend I'm the ultimate permissive parent. Like, what? Just give me the one hundred and one. What kind of boundaries I should have? Consistency. If you say stop doing something, stop doing something. If you say stop doing this, or you'll receive this as a consequence, you have to hold to what you say because that established consistency. That consistency lets the child know that they're safe. Okay, Children I Children do don't that. like, good, good. Because yeah. inconsistency will have kids all over the place. Okay. It's, oh God, kids yeah. with split households, I feel so bad for them because they are all over the place, especially if the parents are not on one accord about how they parent, they will flip flop all over the place. So establishing consistency with your boundaries is the main thing. Okay. Boundaries should be for the pres preservation of the relationship that's the basis any like the the relationship i have with my parents i have because i had to establish boundaries when one of my parents goes off with something that i don't care about or trying to pick at an argument or open an old wound dad i hey i don't feel like talking about this that was 20 years ago it's 20 years later let's move on or i'm going to hang up I'm not being disrespectful. I'm not being rude in any way. I'm, I'm communicating how it makes me feel. I'm communicating my expectation and I'm letting you know the consequence. 
if he continues, click. Hey, Dad, I said I didn't want to have that conversation, so I'm going to go ahead and just hang up, and I'll call you later. Okay, bye. And that's if I'm nice. Sometimes I just put the phone on airplane mode, and the car will just drop. That's <laughs> all because I'm petty. Mm-hmm. Have you ever um have you ever had parents like write almost like contracts to to establish consistency? I say not contracts, not like legal contracts, but you know like kind of we talk about it in marriages and how like arguments have contracts like you're not allowed to bring it up after the first 24 hours. Like you can placehold it and be like, "Yo, we got to talk about this." But like, you know, there's like rules that you can have. Have you had people like have you worked with people to ever like kind of create con- like consequence contracts or something along those lines with their kids to be able to create that consistency i have it my mom had it with me so i've never helped a family do it but my mom had those things with me growing up yeah um but i have adhd and i forget things pretty quickly so well that's i mean mean, that's and that's what i think is so interesting that that's what when you were talking that's what i kept thinking about is that like for me my boundaries are like I can't have my kid like because because I have sensory things like I can't have my kids like touching my face. I can't have them like hanging on me in the same way. I can't do that because it's so hard for me to regulate when I'm getting like literally like like I'm I'm overstimulated, right? Physically mm-hmm. overstimulated. And so my boundaries are very different than my husband's who he's like, he's just going to be like, yeah, come all over me. Let's wrestle. Let's do this. And I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. guys little bit too much touching we got to back up you know yeah <laughs> so uh so same way same for both right i feel like that's right. useful that the kids have to have their boundaries too with their they may have bodily boundaries as well or something along those lines i know my kids do because we're all neurodivergent in my family too <laughs> so, yeah. but that's honestly great because you also hear stories of people who are were like growing up being forced to hug family members that they didn't want to hug or having to deal with disrespect that they didn't want to deal with, it happens so frequently. And it's not fair that children also cannot have those boundaries established. And adults don't know how to establish those boundaries with kids. I ask kids all the time, hey, you want to uh, you want to hug? Do you want to fist bump? Do you want to handshake? Do you want to talk about this right now? Do you not want to talk? I check in and I let them know you can communicate what your boundary is. I'm fine with that. But you got to let me know. And you have to be consistent in establishing that boundary and adhering to it. And it shows a mutual uh, level of respect for both parties. Makes sense. Gabe, can you tell us a little bit more about your book? Yes. What would you like to know? Who is the book for and what is it about? So the book is for anybody, whether you're going to be a parent or not. It's not just good for working with kids, though it is. It's great for people, period. It's not gonna it's not snake oil i'm not a snake oil salesman i'm not is this book is not going to tell you how to be the perfect parent it's not going to tell you how to work with your specific child that's that's not what it's here for it is an an overview of the concepts of authoritative parenting it's to teach you the principles of what it looks like reframing your mind so that you can understand how you should be engaging with your child understanding what the outcomes of this is and how it looks practically. I think we see a lot of theory, but we don't see a lot of practicality. And so I try to make this book as digestible for anybody to read. And it is also going to be um, able to be applied immediately. That's, that's the whole premise of it. I talk about the different styles of parenting. I talk about um, 
ex I give examples of what I've done in the field, what I've done in schools, all of it. It's it's right there. I back it up with scientific um, citations. All right there. That's that's the purpose of my book. I have a question that just popped up when you said that. Do you teach? Can you apply authoritative parenting to teaching? Can you can you basically have authoritative teaching? Is that is that a thing? Is that in your book? Can I? Can I? Um, I, mean, you I it. It. Obviously, you've given us examples. So yes, I just... actually, fun fact: um, a former student of mine is actually my friend that's here. He's in my living room right now. He was a um, a student of mine back when I taught my first year teaching, and he's in the army now. He's here on leave, but in everything teaching kids is is the same so especially when i'm in the classroom working with 30 plus kids who are all with their own little wills their own little thoughts their own little actions idiosyncrasies i have to use authoritative parents i cannot use authoritarian because that's all in middle schools oh the harder you try to beat down on these kids the more they're going to rise up they don't care they're savages they they are savage they will hurt your feelings <laughs> and so i i'm the kid the the teacher on campus where all the kids no matter where i am are going to yell hey mr h they come to my class i'm here to teach i'm also here to build a relationship but i'm also let you know here's my boundary y'all are talking i said stop talking you're continuing to talk so i need you to move your seat well, I don't want to move my seat. I understand you don't want to move your seat. I don't want to pay taxes. I don't want to have to pay for medical care, but here we are. So I need you to move. Well, I didn't do anything. You're about to, because I can see that you're about to talk to this person. So let's move your seat so you don't get in trouble. They move their seat. They know I don't want them to get in trouble. I let them know I don't want you to get in trouble, but this is the consequence of your actions. Hey, you're still talking after I asked you not to. So from what I'm going to do now is if you talk again, I'm going to send you out of the classroom. Do you understand? Well, I just, I understand whatever you're about to say. I feel you. I hear you. All of that. But if I hear you talk again, when you're not raising your hand or doing your work, I'm sending you out of class. Do you understand? Okay, cool. They can have their attitudes. They can have their frustration. They can cuss at me. That's, I don't care. Those are all non-issues for me because I'm recognized, like, you're going to do it, you're going to learn. That's the standard, that's why I'm here to help you get to. I understand you're frustrated, I can help you with your frustration. I even got a kid now, he has ADHD. He loves to just yell out in class randomly for no reason. He will come to me now and ask if he can go for a walk. And I will walk with him around campus while the other teacher's in the room and let him come back to class after he's done all his wiggles and his yelling out. And then he'll sit down and he does his work. And consistently, he's been doing his work from not doing work to doing work every time he's in class, from doing something very small, authoritative parenting works because it teaches kids skills that they need to progress in life. Brilliant. I love it. Mm -hmm. What is your take home? What is your take home uh, message for people who are parents or people who are childless? Or maybe you have two take home messages, one for each. Be patient with yourself and with others. And this isn't just with kids, this is with everybody. Kids especially, but with everybody and including your inner child. Be patient. One of the prayers I pray all the time is, let me see people the way God sees people or let me see the child in another person. 
This is because I have unlimited patience with the child. Children can do stuff to get on my nerves. I will still have unlimited patience. It, it, no matter what happens, I will give my life for a child in a moment's notice. But I want to have that same energy with other people. How can I see the child in another person? There's so much brokenness. How can I see that and heal it? Be patient with yourself, your inner child, and be patient with the inner child and other people, whether they're an actual child or an adult. That's the biggest take-home message I can say. That 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 is authoritative parenting. I love that. You know, it's it's so fitting because a mutual friend of ours, Chris, well, it's Christina's brother-in-law, sent us a lesson like a podcast lesson today and I listened to it and they said that one of the greatest problems in this world is separation and you know separation within ourselves the the walls we put up inside us but also the the walls we put up between other people and one of the best things you can do is to pray for the people who intentionally hurt you because it breaks down separation and I just thought what a what a wonderful way to break down separation than to see your quote unquote enemy as a chi- as an innocent child. I think mm-hmm. that's so beautiful. Yeah, because I mean, as you were saying before, people will age until they reach trauma and then wherever they stop in that aspect of life, they'll stop developing. And so when they're acting out of that hurt, this isn't adult person acting like that. This is child person having a meltdown or having a, a moment where they've been wrong. And they're acting out of that childness. Excuse me. It's not fair to treat that person horribly just because they're having that moment. Now, is it fair to you to have to deal with it? Absolutely not. But if you have the ability, if you if you are more mature in an area, it is then up to you to be the, the adult in that situation and help that child, that inner child, come up from where they were. So yeah, no, be kind to other people. Be be kind to the inner child of somebody else because we'll also do the same thing because we also have brokenness. Mm-hmm. We also have an inner child that's broken. So for people listening that might have strained relationships with their own parents, would you recommend they see the child inside their parent or, or do you have different advice? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's hard for me to say because the relationship with my parents are... It's a very complicated one, uh, specifically with my dad, but I also have had to look at the the life that my father led and the life that my mom led. And it's not, and I want, I want people to hear me. This is not an excuse. There is no excuse for mistreating a child or harming a child, but you can't live in a world where you're always blaming the person for what happened. You have to get to the point where you're recognizing, okay, I can, I can either choose to stay in this anger or I can choose to let it go and focus, realize that there is a broken person here in front of me and I have the tools to heal that person or just let them go in general. But even still, you need to look at the child in everyone. doesn't matter who it is. Even your enemy, look at the child of that person because you never know if that brokenness and 100% of the time, it's some sort of brokenness that's causing them to act that way. Yeah. And then, and then in those cases, it's like you almost have um, authoritative childing, right? Where you're having to basically teach your parents 
things that they may not have learned. Oh yeah. Oof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a dollar. Yeah. Ugh. But yeah, that's, that's basically. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Anna, did you have any more questions? No, I'm so okay. grateful that you came and talked to us today. You gave me a lot to think about. Good, good, good. <laughs> and but, now I also want to say, if yeah. I may, your kids aren't going to grow to be evil. I, I promise. A lot of us are looking at parenting as we have to get it right. There's this this concept of keeping up appearances. Our child has to be perfect in order to make us not seem like we're bad people or bad parents. There's so much emphasis on that, that we get lost in the sauce. We get lost um, in the fact that our kids aren't, aren't pawns. They're not here for our amusement. They're not here for our entertainment. Mm -hmm. They're not here for our appearances. Your kids are going to grow up to be mass murderers. They're not going to grow up to be serial killers. That, 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 that's the odds of that happening aren't as high as people think. Should we be working with our kids to make sure it definitely doesn't happen? Yes, 100%. By teaching the skills necessary as we do in authoritative parenting, but don't, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on your kids. Re relax, relax. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think for a lot of us who, who had traumatic childhoods, we have this sense of this, this like horrible fear. Like, I don't want to traumatize my kids, you know? And, and we sometimes maybe like, go in the opposite direction a little too hard to to avoid that because we're like you know I only have bad memories of my mom you know mm -hmm. and I'm so every time I yell at them I'm wondering oh no is this all they're gonna remember of me or or whatever uh that was a really specific example that was actually very true <laughs> but the point is you know um I don't know I think a lot for a lot of it's like it makes me kind of sad like I think for a lot of us our childhoods were really traumatic our relation our relationship mm -hmm. with one or both parents was really hard and we kind of live in fear of, of 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 perpetuating a cycle yeah and that's that's a, a healthy fear to have but like the Greeks said one often meets their destiny on the road to prevent it yes so <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Yes. It's very important that we don't go to the extreme. Like if you're in a car, you don't want to overcorrect. You overcorrect, you're going to you're going to like spin out. It's very important to just be aware of what's happened. Think about what you're doing critically and just proceed with caution and you'll be fine. It, yeah. Yeah. Take it every day at a time. Don't be afraid to fail and make mistakes. You're only failing, truly failing when you give up. It's about <laughs> also about finding good repair, right? Because we all make mistakes. And our parents, if they traumatized us, probably didn't repair. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot there. So thank you so much, Gabriel. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you so much. The indomitable black man. Thank you yes. so much for being here today. We've learned, I've learned so much and I'm going to look at, I love this. I, I call it a psychodrama. I love the role-playing thing. I'm totally going to do that the next time my kids have an argument. Yeah. <laughs> It's and really it, effective. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to learn more about Gabe, we're going to have links to his TikTok book and website in the show notes. Thanks again for coming, Gabe. You're welcome. We hope that you enjoyed this interview with Gabe, the indomitable black man. If you'd like to hear more from Gabe, like and follow Gabe on TikTok at the indomitable black man, all dashes in between, or at the underscore giant Gabe on Instagram. You can also go to Gabe's GoFundMe site, the Indomitable Black Man's Internship Fund, if you would like to support him in another way. Thank you. 
And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.